Welcome back, my menacing mutts, to another exciting episode of Cadaver Dogs. I'm Rob Pasercha. I'm Devin Shepard. And I'm David B. Jacobs. And we are Cadaver Dogs. I am very excited for this week's episode because we're going to talk about some really like crazy stuff that is pretty pertinent to the current political spectrum. But before we get started, I saw a really weird movie in the movie theater called Crimes of the Future that I yes. actually really enjoyed. Uh, what did you guys think of that one? Yo, I really liked it, It, but I had the worst movie experience going to go see it. We went to oh. Alamo. There were like six people in the theater. I was so excited to have no one in the theater and have it be like really quiet. And this couple talked the entire time. I like wow. for the entire first half. We called the manager on them like three times. I yelled at them like twice. Okay, not yelled. I shushed them loudly twice and they still talked. So I missed like all of the explanation for everything that was happening in that movie. <laughs> oh, that's fucked up. I thought Alma was pretty good at kicking people out too. Usually. That's weird. They're kind of like known for that. What do you think, David? I, I thought the explanation was too much of the movie. <laughs> that's fair, um, that's fair. I still recommend it just because there's enough stuff in there that I've never seen in another movie. I, I, I wish it was less in itself, I guess. I don't know. There's really, it's mostly just philosophical arguments about human evolution and changes in bodies and mutations and stuff, uh, coupled with some really extreme imagery. See, I thought um, it was a lot of conversation about like that, but also in art specifically. We've talked about that a lot on this podcast, how pain and art are like intertwined, how there's kind of like a value to suffering. So it is pretty interesting. This isn't, this is a very light spoiler because it happens like 10 minutes into the movie, but in the future, people pretty much don't feel pain. So they can do very extreme things with their bodies. Surgery is the new sex. <laughs> and uh, yeah, what is it? Viggo <laughs> Mortensen says, sorry, I'm bad at old sex at one point. <laughs> yeah. Also, can we please retire the older man, younger woman trope? Like, why are we still doing that? That movie was so... It's, ugh, ugh. Yeah, I don't... Um, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like that trope's going anywhere. I'm sorry, Devin. Uh, how, many, how many 20-year-olds do you know that are with 40-year-old men, huh? Like five. Oh, actually, probably a few more than that. I, I wouldn't be as bad if it went the other way as well. Yeah, uh, if, yeah, if, yeah. If, if but it doesn't. Yeah, but it's like a societal thing. Um, you know, it's like a status. I saw another really crazy movie called Men. I fucking love Men. Yeah, I I kind of thought it sucked, but it's weird because the reason why I thought it sucked is I think the reason why David thought it was good. I thought it was like a bad Antichrist, and I thought it was a a good Antichrist. Right. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, our episode about Antichrist for the reason why this is so funny to me. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's the biggest split in scoring we've ever had. I gave it four stars and David gave it zero. Yeah, men could have been good. Um, they were just, it seemed like every decision they made was like the wrong one. It's too bad because I, I liked a lot of the stuff they were trying to do. Um, and I like that style of music. It had great music. Yeah, that, that part was that. good. Great music, gorgeously shot, and um, just goes so ridiculous and bonkers and crazy, and it's 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 so much fun. <laughs> I can respect that it went bonkers, but like I was frustrated throughout that throughout that entire movie going experience. <laughs> I did not enjoy that movie. Yeah, I was, I was a little bit bored, and um, but there were some really weird things that happened, and like I appreciate like art house horror. Uh, even when it's not very good. 
But a similar movie, I think, is like Titan, which I think is infinitely better and a lot more interesting. Well, yeah, that's a great movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think uh, everyone should rush out and see Titan. And I think if you're interested in the genre, check out men. Also, if you're interested in like um, sociosexual political stuff, maybe you should check out men. Wait, Howard how Teton and men the same genre? I, I consider them both art house horror. Um, because oh, okay. I, don't think, yeah. I just don't think of that as a genre. Okay. Yeah. That's kind <laughs> of, uh, yeah. We're just kind of like surrealist uh, genre bending. They both have some surrealism in there. Yeah. Yeah, it's very surrealist. What is Crimes of the Future? Yeah, Uh, very much so. You could argue that's art house horror. It's not very surrealist. It has surrealist imagery. Um, Yeah, but it's linear storytelling. Yeah, there's an explanation for all the crazy stuff that goes on, but there's still crazy stuff going on. My definition of art house does not include surrealism. I would say like surrealist movies tend to fall under the art art house genre, but I don't think that... An art house horror needs to have surrealism. Uh, that's I, fair enough. I just don't acknowledge art house as being a genre. I I don't like that. Term. <laughs> I, I'm going from the genre name I've seen on DVD boxes, so it's just pre-existing. But <laughs> I think it's fair enough to say maybe surrealist horror is a better genre. And then, a, um, yeah, that's more specific. I think. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think these are more like people. selling points than genres to me. Right. Crimes of the Future is like philosophical body horror. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, that aside, uh, let's get into the nitty gritty of this week's episode. Okay. So I'm excited to get into the nitty gritty of the episode. But before we get started, uh, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Cadaver Dogs Pod. That's at Cadaver Dogs Pod on Facebook and Instagram, where we post a lot of really cool content. So, our first film, we have to travel all the way to the Far East. Devin Shepard, why don't you give us the rundown? Yes, this is our first Thai film, I do believe. Soptek 2002, or The Unborn Child, follows four different storylines seemingly unconnected. One, an actress who's starting to lose work because she is pregnant. The second, a young student debating what to do after recently discovering she and her boyfriend are pregnant. Another, an abortionist and a temple caretaker who disposes the fetuses by burning them in a temple crematorium. And the fourth is our main story. A family, beautiful, happy, complete, with a mother, father, and a young daughter. Of course, this is a horror movie, so their shit is about to get fucked up. The young daughter begins to talk to a boy who no one else can see. Supernatural events occur, and the parents begin to suspect their daughter is not well. Things take a turn for the worse when the ghost boy starts to tell their daughter to, quote, join him, and the parents keep finding her on the ledges of buildings about to jump and join him, and I guess what is the afterlife? The other pregnant women have made their decision to go through with abortions. Both are then haunted by the same spirit that is threatening the family. It's becoming more powerful, eventually sending both these women to the hospital. At our climax, the father of the family wakes up at the temple. He hears screams. His wife and daughter are trapped inside the crematorium with the ghost. The father fights all his fears and pulls out his wife and daughter only to realize that he's not holding his daughter, but a bloody fetus. And this is when everything comes together. You see, he was having an affair with the actress that we met at the beginning, and he persuaded her to get an abortion. The man, now terrified with what he's done, falls into a sea of animated bloody fetuses who kill him. 
The film ends with the police arresting the abortionist who we met earlier, and she admits that she conducted 2002 abortions. This is based on a horrifying true story of the discovery of 2002 aborted fetuses in a Thai temple in 2010. This is The Unborn Child or Stop Deck 2002, directed by Pajarnan, written by Pajarnan and Thanadin Nguan Suthi. Suthi. We'll see if I got any of those names correct. I became aware that part of this uh, movie is based on some ancient Thai mythology that's quite gruesome. Yeah, it, it was kind of really cool to do some research for this movie because I admittedly don't know much about Thailand. And like, I actually, I found this film through um, this lecture series that the Miskatonic Institute does. Do you guys know the Miskatonic Institute? I know that that's a reference to Reanimator. It is. It is. <laughs> it's oh, really cool. cool. They do like a series of lectures. I'm going to buy this for you guys for your next birthday. So spoiler. But they had one, it's it's mainly horror movies, and they had one about Thai spiritualism. And so I was like, oh, this is kind of fucking cool. And basically the lecture was about some of the spiritual mythology, and I'll get I'll get into it a little bit. Um, and they, they mentioned this film. But like this film specifically touches on this um this interesting mythology in in the Thai culture called the Kuman Thong. Have you guys did you guys hear about any of this before this movie? So the Kuman Thong is like two dead babies together. It's so it comes from this book. It's this really old book. It's this guy who fell in love or married this sorcerer's daughter. And then he like pissed off his father-in-law in some way. And so his father-in-law tells the daughter to poison her new husband. Um, the guy discovers that his wife is trying to poison him. And in a rage cuts out his own unborn child from his wife's belly Oh, damn. Yeah. And like literally uh, they describe it with like a bloody feet. He has like a bloody fetus in his hand. So uh, um, cue what actually happens in the movie. He does this um, ritual and then the the ghost of the child actually does end up haunting him in some stories and some like he's like a guardian. Um, so huh. there's like this myth, this time mythology that ghosts of these aborted children um, either haunt you or like come into a family to like warn them of something that's about to happen. And in, in Thai culture, they actually take fetuses, unborn right. fetuses and like decorate them up in gold. And like some people worship them. Some people use them for certain ritualistic practices. It's really, really interesting. So I heard about this. There was a guy who got caught with a few of them, right? On an airplane, yeah. and he, he was trying to sell them for like thousand, tens of thousands of dollars a pop, and he got caught. Yeah, people buy them. Like these fetuses, like mean something um, to to certain mm. people in Thai culture. They do say that this is black magic, so I think it, there is like you know some people. I'm not saying like all of Tha Thailand believes in this, obviously, but like mm. I think some people see this as a little bit of like darker witchcraft, mm. um, and shouldn't necessarily be compared to like you know the practicing Buddhists all around mm -hmm. but uh yeah i don't know it's interesting yeah i i know that like mummification is like relatively mainstream in thai buddhist culture because when i went to chiang mai uh more than one of the temples had mummified monks encased in glass all over the place so that's pretty common and in other uh east asian countries they have different types of mummification practices for the priests that sounds cool yeah i think the baby or fetus thing is different 
on pointing out is culturally like mummification is a thing they do. I, I'm like really interested in mummification. It's like some some creepy but like super scientific stuff that I just like would love to get into. Can I mummify your uh, your pets, please? Uh, I don't have any pets, but if I had a goldfish, I guess I would give it to you. Yes, um, that's evil. There are some <laughs> monks who used to try to mummify themselves alive. They would change their diet so that they would lose all fat and muscle on their body and basically like drain their organs of moisture until they eventually died. It would take years. What the fuck? Yeah, it's it's actually so difficult to do. I think less than a hundred were successful, like all time, and like thousands have tried. Um, I wish I remembered the name of it. I, I was watching a YouTube video on it a while ago. Maybe I'll post in the comments or something. Yeah, that'd be sick. Um, yeah, well, that's that's really fucking creepy. But I think for, for this movie in particular, I mean, obviously we don't touch on mummification, but I think like the point in the Kumin Thong um, mythology that stands out for me as a direct comparison to to this film is the like the haunting of the ghost child, right? Especially on a family where you know, yeah. secrets need to be devolved. Divulged. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is kind of interesting that you could have this like a uh, piece of flesh around for a long time that, you know, still has like a soul attached to it um, in some way. Cause I know like the myth of the mummy, basically all mummy movies are about this spirit coming into this body to do supernatural stuff. But what's weird about this is that the movie itself is dedicated to all the souls of unborn children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's pretty creepy. Um, it reminds me of like limbo, like in Christianity, unborn children who are like unbaptized, they go to limbo because they, they haven't been born. So they haven't been able to like officially sin. So they can't go to hell or purgatory. Instead, they go to a weird place. I guess it's in hell. <laughs> so you mentioned it's based on a true story, Devin, or maybe Rob mentioned it. One of you mentioned it. Um, do you mind going a bit more into that? I, I, I think I know the gist of it, but. Yeah, I, yeah, I could definitely give some more detail. It's actually kind of based off of two, um, and oh. um, one is similar to what Rob was just saying. Actually, uh, one of the tales is about this woman who was haunted by, uh, who claims she was haunted by a um, a ghost of her aborted fetus. She says that you know later on she had a she had a daughter, and the daughter kept waking up from nightmares of seeing a little girl on her bed strangling her. And it got to the point where the daughter started being admitted to the hospital because she couldn't breathe. And then she started going into comas regularly. Um, And they had no idea what was causing this. And then the woman talked to, I think they called it a witch doctor uh, in the article that I was reading. And I'll have to figure out what article that was. And they said, oh, this is the ghost of your aborted child. And so she invited she actually had a cumin thong and invited the spirit of her aborted fetus into the cumin thong so that it could like, I don't know, be saved. It sounds like some Annabelle shit to me. That's fucking wild. This idea of there being a lot of power from like uh, dead infants and fetuses goes back in the Western culture too. I know that uh, Greek witches, they would have to either give up an eyeball or like a child for power. What the fuck? Yeah. What the fuck? So I think like fetuses and witchcraft are just kind of intertwined. Well, and then you also said like in Catholicism, there's some like shit going on there too. So yeah, there's definitely some like power. There is. Behind the fetuses. 
Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff going on with uh, just menstrual cycles. It's probably because you know it's like in science. Also, there is there is also stem cell research in science as well. <laughs> what do you mean? What? Well, that's not any ritual thing. That's like actual science. That's real. That you can study the stem cells and fetuses, um, or embryos. I think it's oh, I think by I think by the time that they're what they resemble in the movie, it's already no good. But you know what I mean. Oh, okay. I see. I see. Yeah, let's definitely get there because I think you're 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 touching on something that like obviously we really really want to talk about. Um, okay, let's definitely get there. I do want to finish answering the question though you ask and tell the second story that this movie is based on because I think it's okay. the more yes. fucked up one. I mean, the supernatural kid is pretty fucked up, but the the reason why this movie is called Sop Deck. 2002 it was made in 2011 it's because it's actually based on this true story they found 2002 aborted fetuses at a temple in bangkok um and did actually discover that i think um one of the caretakers or a couple of the caretakers were taking fetuses from these illegal abortion clinics and bringing them to the temple which had a mortuary and was actually cremating them there so that part of it is like totally true and in, th- in this movie like tells a more fucked up version of that <laughs> and it's like not just inspired by that it is meant to be like this is that case they're using the same locker number and everything i'm really interested in how much is linked to the actual uh, events unfortunately i ended up watching a youtube copy of this and uh it was really bad quality so bad but it has some really fucking crazy visuals, especially at the end. And this part, YouTube didn't mess up when they pull out bags of fetuses and they have thousand, two thousand of them. That image is actually like recreated from what actually um, one of the most famous photographs from this incident, which is, yeah, there were thousands of dead fetuses in plastic bags just like spread out yeah. in front of this temple. So I'm confused, but I thought they were cremating them. So what was in the bag? Was it ashes or was it just... I think they were supposed to be cremating them, but didn't. I don't know what happened in real life, but in the movie, they said that like it was broken. And so the fetuses kept piling up. And then the smell eventually like oh. gave mm. off enough that people started realizing, oh, there's something fucked up happening back here. So I think that's what happened in real life. Not really sure because 2002 is quite a lot. So maybe they weren't cremating them. And they were just hoarding them in the mortuary. Yeah, that's pretty messed up. Uh, they probably should have fixed the crematorium. Um, <laughs> may, maybe yeah. not. Did, did I they think that should have been the top of their list. It's crazy that they all fit in the same locker. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, I, I think oh, dead God. babies weigh less than live babies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. well, it, it's not a baby. It's a fetus. A fetus. Yeah, right. It's not <laughs> like a baby. It's very, it, yeah, it's, it's very, very small. Some of these are, and they're all different stages of pregnancy. So, you know, some of them are a little bit bigger, but most of them would be small. So what was really crazy was at the end of the movie, when they catch them and they're questioning the woman who is doing all these uh, illegal abortions, was that not all the fetuses died and some were actually born. Oh, yeah. And became her kids, which was kind of crazy. You were like, oh, like this person like does something that's extremely dangerous. So we should point out like backroom abortions are extremely dangerous and oftentimes the mother will die. So it's not, it's not a good thing to do um, for that reason, at least. But uh, she didn't just like throw out the fetuses to die. She like made sure they didn't die. Then was like, Oh, now I have a kid that I have to take care of, which probably forced her to do more abortions for money. 
her character is so fascinating to me because she does mention that her, she, I think she's talking to her sister and she does mention that their mother also performed, um, abortions and performed many. And so it made me curious if like, she was also like a, an unwanted baby that grew up or something like that. I was wondering at you. Yeah, right? It's so interesting. But they also, like, they make her look so evil in the movie. Our introduction to her, she's, like, smoking a cigarette, like, all bloody, like, I'm a badass. <laughs> I'm doing illegal shit. I drive a little moped. <laughs> well, the movie is funded. I think it was funded by pro-life organizations, right? So that's what it says in that end scroll. Yeah. Yeah, but... Yeah. I don't know that much about that organization. Like, is that organization strictly pro-life or strictly uh, anti-illegal abortion? That is a good question. Because, like, the, the the phrase that comes up at the end of the movie shows that they seem pretty anti-abortion. Um, or they seem pretty pro-life, I guess, because of the soul's uh, quote that you mentioned, Rob. Mm-hmm. But I think throughout the film, I was questioning, yeah, this also just kind of seems like anti-illegal abortion to me. Right. And I... I think that speaks to how you can view a movie, like because the intention of the director and uh, the creators isn't always what's conveyed. So, for instance, like Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is kind of like an LGBTQ movie, even though it's very anti-gay because of what it does. It's accepted. So maybe this movie could fall into a similar category. I don't know. In that article that you sent us, Devin, about the real events that happen that it's based upon um, at the, at the end of the article, it starts discussing the people's reactions to it. And while some people did go full pro-life, it's like, Oh, this is a horrendous thing. that needs to stop. There was actually a very large backlash in Thailand of people saying we need to have looser abortion laws. We need to give people a legal means of having access to this so that it, it, it's not so gruesome and horrendous. The the same event was taken and interpreted both ways. Yeah. Actually, when I was watching the film, I initially interpreted it as uh, anti-illegal abortion, which is almost like pro-safer uh, avenues for people to take. You know, uh, maybe it's yeah. not, not necessarily abortion avenues, but things beforehand like contraception or whatever to prevent it, maybe even preventative measures, you could argue. Yeah, what do you mean by anti-illegal abortion? Because that everyone's anti-illegal abortion. No one wants backroom abortions to happen. But does, like, what does that mean? What does that mean when you say that? <laughs> well, I mean that—that's what it means. So I was saying it, it means that they might be pressing for better, uh, legitimate avenues of people to go with. And that's what I thought mm. until the end, when it kind of started just showing print of like propaganda, like here's our organization. This is for this reason. This is for that reason. I'm like, oh. Okay. I mean, and also the ghost haunting aspect, I guess, is kind of hard to remedy. It's not so yeah. much like the ghost isn't angry because it died in in a painful way. It's angry because they didn't want it. So I, I don't know if it was a professional, if the spirit would feel any different. Yeah, it definitely has conflicting views. I agree of like pro-life, anti-illegal abortion. Right. So, I mean, I guess this was a question we were all interested in. Um, I guess all of us kind of agree that it is a pro-life movie. I don't know. I don't know. I think like, I think this is more anti-legal abortion. I think I agree with you, Rob. It meant to be a pro-life movie, but in the end became more of an anti-legal abortion movie. I mean, throughout the film, there's like little sprinkles of like hope here that it 
is actually not an, uh, a pro-life movie. At one point, the boyfriend of the student was like, if I only had protection, you wouldn't suffer like this. And to me, that says, you know, like that's talking about <laughs> different birth control and like, you know, I don't know. And then um, the the abortionist says, these women are in trouble. They count on me. They do this because they have no choice. They ask me for help and we help them as we can. And I'm like, that kind of puts her in a better light. And constantly throughout the film, we're seeing her in a dark versus like, like we were talking about a dark light versus a better light. And I think like, it's hard to say that this is a pro-life movie when they do put the abortionist in a good light sometimes. Yeah. It's weird because they do put her in a good light sometimes. Other times she is just harassing the women that she's performing the abortions on. Yes. Um, it also, I think, is sympathetic to the teenage girl. You you do feel sympathy toward her and her situation. I still think the movie's pro-life. I, I think it's just kind of sloppy mm -hmm. in its execution. I mean, it's sloppy to the point where there are times where I literally, I couldn't tell if it was pro-life or if it was making fun of pro-life with how cringy and extreme its dialogue was when it's just like characters will just randomly start reciting pro-life talking points it's really <laughs> weird <laughs> I, I i do wonder because like this isn't an american movie and it's quite far from the u.s like yeah. how much of our understanding of the pro-life uh movement in thailand is similar to the u.s because especially when you talk about things like contraception and whatnot doesn't necessarily need to be like pro-abstinence to be pro-life so maybe we're like conflating American values with like Thai values. So perhaps it is more, it, it can be anti-abortion and, but mostly cater towards like backroom abortions, but like just safer practices overall. And I think yeah. uh, you can be uh, generous to the movie and charitable because of how it humanizes all the characters, especially the abortionists. If it is that, then I don't think that it's pro-life because pro-life people wouldn't say like, I support legal abortions, no? Well, yeah, but I, I think it is anti-abortion, but I don't necessarily think it's anti-sex. Mm. I don't think the movie's supporting legal abortion either. I think it's supporting people wearing contraception, which that is <laughs> different than here because it's it's not saying that people shouldn't have sex. It's just saying that they should practice safe sex and that then they would never get pregnant if they would just practice safe sex. Well, and I think that's where the comedy comes in. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's not a 100%. Uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But, um, uh, I, I mean, I think just like health wise, it's probably better to prevent it than have to do it. So that's a message that's good. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that the movie falls firmly against abortion as a whole simply because and we mentioned this briefly already the the entire premise of the film pivots around having this fetus is soul is haunting you and it is making a point that the fetus has a soul yes okay yes that that is a good point that the fetus has a soul but at the same time we like sympathize with these characters and a lot of the time the 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 like horror parts of this movie don't come from like, I mean, some of them come from like jump scares and, and uh, images of the ghost or whatever. But a lot of it is also from the tension of like seeing these women kind of suffer with having to make this choice. Like I really felt that in this film. And I was like, you can't 
say that we're going to sympathize with these women and really understand that they feel the way that they feel about going through an abortion and say that this is an anti-abortion movie, right? I actually, I think that that horror comes when they actually have the abortion. Like, going, again, the teenage Mm. girl's meme that we're following through this. It's horrific when she has the abortion and in the aftermath. But in the lead up to the abortion, she's just like, oh, you won't take care of it? Okay, I'm going to take care of it then. Like, she, she doesn't struggle with that decision at all that we see. Yeah, she does. She has a fight with her boyfriend and runs away crying and stuff. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, and that's why she gets the abortion. Well, <laughs> uh, no, she's thinking about it. And there's also all the turmoil of uh, the one of the main the photographer, Try. And his actress um, infidelity, you know, he's uh, sleeping with her and he he talks her into having an abortion. She's not happy about it at all. I I think that's kind of to the movie's strength. Like, even if we don't agree with its political angle, at least it does it with sympathy towards all the parties involved rather than just kind of pointing a blanket finger and being like, all these people are evil. Yeah. This one takes a stance that's counter to my own. But it, it does it in a way that's sympathetic and kind of thoughtful, actually. But I still, I disagree. I still think that uh, the teenage girl, Kwon Kao, is her name, Kwon. To me, when I was watching it, I was getting the impression that she was being completely impulsive. It's not that she's struggling to have a decision because she's having a fight with her boyfriend. It's she makes the decision to have an abortion because she had a fight with an abortion and now she's going to get back at him. No, no, she does struggle, but she's very impulsive. And I think the movie's also doing a commentary on like, this is a very extreme um, choice that very young people have to make. And maybe they shouldn't be having such an extreme choice. In an ideal world, they wouldn't have to make these giant extreme choices, but the world is not ideal. So these things <laughs> happen, right? Yeah, I, I had a different read of that. Uh, I thought that she did struggle. I mean, during the fight with her boyfriend, you see her go through all these different scenarios, future scenarios in her head of like, what does he want? Is he going to be there for me? Am I going to have to do this alone? And she's like constantly like, what is this actually going to look like? Like I do see, I do see her struggle in that. And yeah, she comes to the decision pretty quickly, but I think we do see her like go through the steps to make that decision just in a one scene. I, I also wonder like what the climate is for single mothers in Thailand. I'm not really sure. I'd err on that. It's sure. not amazing, but it's probably better than a lot of the surrounding countries. So, yeah, I don't know, but I do have statistics here saying that most Thai women seeking abortions, at least at this time, were um, young women between 17 and 23, so somewhere mm-hmm. around Kwan's age, um, or mistresses, which is really interesting because that's exactly what this movie talks about. Yeah, I think it's probably a very topical movie in, in the place it was made. The movie's kind of based on the agency of the fetus coming back for revenge because it wasn't allowed to be born. So I think you can justify this in like Buddhist mythology in that uh, if a spirit wants to be born as a person, that's very rare. You're most likely going to be born as something else in your life cycle. So it could very much want heavily to be born into a human body. So if that doesn't happen, Hmm. you could anger the spirit foreseeably. This is a lot of conjecture, but I think I've read something about this before. This movie seems to have a firm uh, stance on fetal agency, which I think caters to a question of like fetal personhood like what are your guys thoughts on that yes david i'm gonna let you lead here since you have a lot of thoughts on them no i think i think it is an interesting point and and david you mentioned this earlier too that like yeah the the fetus has thoughts of plans and goals and is like purposely haunting these people to Mm -hmm. uh make them suffer and it's like "Mm, 
Um, at least one of those fetuses wasn't a full like trimester trimester and uh therefore like doesn't really have a brain or anything yet. So what? How does what? Neither was the main one. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, she wasn't even showing when she got the abortion. Like, no, it was it probably didn't even have a brain. How do they yeah, so how do they have these goals? And it it it, it does go into in that way it does go into the pro life conversation of that they're like, you know, full, fully grown, fully right. formed souls like you said rob these these things have these things these fetuses have souls they're already people or becoming people do you think that ties into the buddhist um religion then like reincarnation etc yeah i i think that's what i was trying to get at before that uh you know souls technically cycle through a bunch of different levels of existence and uh they end up on our plane which is not the only plane in most buddhist mythology there's the realm of the hungry ghosts, there's hells, there's, there's a heaven type of thing. Um, there's the realm of animals or whatever, but as you get into our realm, it's probably more likely that you'd be an ant or something than a person. That's why my wife, for instance, is always telling me I can't step on a cockroach because it could have been my grandmother in a past life or my mother in this. Uh, I, I do have to disagree with you, David, though, just because you think that a fetus is a person doesn't mean you necessarily have to be pro-life because there are people who believe in like infocide or their murderers, for instance, that can justify the elimination of some sort of thing. So you could say that you are pregnant, it is a person, but that doesn't mean that its wants and desires outweigh those of the mother, for instance, or society as a whole. So like, perhaps that justifies a moral grounds abortion. Sure, but it does lean toward being anti-abortion if you accept that the fetus is a person. Yeah, I think that's the key point here. In and not just said. like some person that is low cognitive abilities, but a person with full cognitive abilities who is able to comprehend and understand what happened to him. That, oh, you murdered me and it was painful and you did it because you were cheating on your wife and you just wanted to hide that and you don't love me as much as your legitimate daughter. Like that's also well, yeah, but right? that's the spirit. That's not like the brain function. That's some sort of mythological, like spiritual function. I don't think they're arguing that fetuses have brain function. I think they might argue that they have a soul, which um, it's definitely arguing know. that they have a soul. Yeah. yeah, but I don't believe in a soul for at all for anyone. Neither do I. Or I'm a soul agnostic. Yeah, well, that that's like a made up argument. Like you can't prove Even- there's a soul, so to argue on it is like you're you're basing your whole thing on a potential bluff or a myth. So I hadn't considered this Buddhist religion angle, though. Uh, is it stated in Buddhism when the soul would enter the new body? Like, why would that have to happen as a fetus? Why wouldn't that happen at eight months or at birth or uh, at two years? I bet you that probably varies greatly depending on the type of Buddhism, the branch, the individual practitioners. Yeah, that's a really interesting question because, like, all I know from research is like places are quoting um, that Buddhists usually think abortion is a sin. But I think that also, like you said, like that's not like not all Catholics think abortion is a sin. Yeah, I, I think there's actually biblical passes where they passages where they commit abortion. In my research, which I, which is a link that you sent, Devin, um, I, I one of them mentioned that Catholicism didn't actually have a firm stance on abortion until like a few decades ago. Oh, interesting. 
that that was a fairly new thing. I'm super skeptical of that, but uh, it's <laughs> interesting. Um, the crux of the article David's referring to is that the uh, pro-life movement was almost reactionary to Roe versus Wade, that it didn't really have like a strong, cohesive uh, structure, and that post-Roe versus Wade, they kind of uh, got all together and coalesced into the big, gigantic movement that changed the American political spectrum recently. And got Reagan elected. Oh, no, he did it, folks. David I mentioned Reagan. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, that obviously means we're going to the next film now. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> this is a perfect place to transition because our next film actually took place the year after Roe v. Wade. Uh, so, Rob, why don't you bring us into our second film? Franklin and Nor are experienced parents living in a typical suburban life with their 11-year-old son, Chris. They don't have much to worry about as Lenore enters labor for their expected child. They drop Chris off at their friend Williams on their way to the hospital, where Frank spends an unpleasant amount of time with exterminators infatuated with all kinds of vermin, from slugs to cockroaches. He laughs off their concerns with, about chemically empowered roaches to join his wife, who seems to think there's something different this time around. And the doctors, well, all they can say is this baby's enormous. Moments later, chasing their screams, Frank enters a bloodbath. All five hospital staff are torn to shreds as Lenore cries out on the hospital bed, he's not ugly. Franklin and Lenore are then tortured by the media, and Big Pharma has something to hide, all the while the mutated child hunts milkmen and others in the streets. It's up to Frank, a public relations consultant in need of consulting, to find out whether or not to help the police hunt and kill his murderous son, or save him from those who couldn't possibly understand. This is 1974's It's Alive, directed by Larry Cohen. Dope. This was a this was a fun movie. I honestly I hadn't heard of this film before uh, you suggested it, Rob. And now I'm very curious it, to watch all three that were then created, um, purely because the baby in this was was so good. Um, <laughs> but also because to me, this is very obviously a Frankenstein movie, and we know we that I love Frankenstein <laughs> stuff. I mean, what did you guys think uh, about the Frankenstein comparisons here? Well, he compares himself to Frankenstein. He is named Frank. Oh, I didn't even catch that. <laughs> oh, I feel so dumb. I don't know if it's straight up a Frankenstein movie. It's definitely a twist on it. It's um, also called It's Alive. Yeah. Yes, yeah. That's <laughs> it's it's definitely a major twist to the Frankenstein formula because he didn't create the monster. Is Big Pharma created it. He's just kind of the surrogate. Yeah. Well, we don't know what created it. It's never established at any point. Um, um, it's hinted at heavily, and at the end of the movie, they're saying it's happening elsewhere. So they're saying it's, it's probably because of some drugs they're giving it. There are multiple theories pitched throughout the movie as to what created it. So I wouldn't say that anything is signified as the definitive answer. And but the I think the main thing here though is like yes the deformities are the thing that are is being questioned of what created those but no matter what he is still this baby's father like he did yes. create it um with the and mother Frankenstein the the book and the movie adaptations are themselves about fatherhood parenthood um and I'm sorry it wait all- Yes. Can, can I interrupt you? Thank you. Thank you. It, it is. It was written by an 18 year old girl. So yes, it is actually about motherhood. Continue. The point he makes when he actually compares himself to Frankenstein, he's getting on that classic point that like, oh, I always thought that 
the monster was Frankenstein, but it turns out that Frankenstein was the scientist, and who is the real monster, blah, blah, blah. And I think that the end of the film, I mean, in both movies, it's a mob is after this creation. Mm -hmm. The creator seems to be on the side of the mob, is like, yes, we need to destroy this thing, it's evil. But then at the end of It's Alive, he kind of comes around, and I don't remember if this actually happens in Frankenstein or not, but he actually comes around and says, recognizes the humanity of the the monster baby and tries to defend it, but it is still killed by the mob that can only see it as a monster. So I yeah. think it's absolutely a Frankenstein movie. That's really interesting. I didn't see how the storylines actually do correlate. And I think in, in some Frankenstein movies, um, the creator does turn around. Um, and in the book, actually, originally, you know, he he thinks the creation is, is beautiful, Dr. Frankenstein. Like, but yeah, I think you're you're so right. It it does follow exactly the same same themes as um typical Frankenstein adaptations do. And I know Devin will tell us about how uh Frankenstein was also written in the aftermath of Mary Shelley's miscarriage. Yeah, that's why I had to jump in and be like, uh, actually, it's about motherhood. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean... I was if- saving it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, um, if you haven't seen my movie about exactly this topic, go check out A Nightmare Wakes on Shudder now. Um, no, but yeah, that's, that's exactly right, David. Do check out A Nightmare Wakes on Shudder. So why does Frankenstein relate to a miscarriage? How does it play off of that? The original story? Yeah. Um, It is a lot about, I mean, it's about creation. Um, Just like how in the story, the themes are more so um, God and his creations and man trying to like become the power of God. It does talk a lot about like a woman does technically have that power. Um, And it is about, you know, creating life. And and Mary was haunted by, by, um, the life that was creating inside of her. And it's that question of like how us as parents, you know, when kids, I'm not a parent. I don't know why I said us as parents, but you know what I mean? Um, when a child is born there, it, it's there's a certain point you lose control over the power of what happens with that child, I think. And there's the question of like, is it monster? Is it, um, is it the, the beautiful baby that I would had? I don't know. Does that reach like a little bit of what you wanted to talk about? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it does. And it also relates like very heavily to this movie because they're both about the creation of a monster uh, Mm -hmm. through technology, I would argue. But one's very accidental and one is not accidental at all. One of the biggest uh, critiques of this film is of like technology and how far we're going and how we're manipulating our own genome. For instance, when he's in the waiting room before Lenore gives birth. He's talking to a bunch of exterminators about vermin <laughs> and how the chemicals they're using are making them like supercharged. And he's like, God, yep. you guys have gross professions. Lo and behold, he's a public relations professor, a consultant, which is pretty gross in itself. <laughs> um, yeah. And then there's a whole scene devoted to one of the heads of the hospital telling the police commissioner that he doesn't want um, the body of the creature to get out because it's very likely that they created it through their drugs. Which is really interesting considering what was happening at the time. Can I go into a little more history? Oh, you should definitely tell us about thalidomide. Okay, thank you for pronouncing it because I was going to fuck that up. But yeah, <laughs> I, I'm i Miss History Gal today. You're welcome. Um, yeah, it, during the 1960s, essentially this sleeping pill called, what was it, Rob? Thalidomide. 
thalidomide uh, started creating birth defects in children being born, like thousands, like all around the world. It was, it got so bad that like it did kind of kick off this, um, this abortion discussion of whether or not um, women should be allowed to abort a fetus if it was showing that it was going to be born with um, deformities, which I think ties into this movie is I feel like this movie is obviously influenced by that because there is a baby born with not necessarily. Well, I don't know. It has defects. It has defects, but it's also like a fucking demon baby. So I don't even know if it's human. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, I think they call it mutated. It's got teeth and claws and it can leap and cut people's throats and shit. Um, and it's really big. And they don't think of doing a C-section. Oh, yeah. God, that poor woman. <laughs> I know. I'm like, they're like, oh, you got to push harder. And I'm like, just cut her. That doctor doing? was such a dick to her, though. <laughs> like, he's like, oh, don't worry. You did your part. Now let me do mine. Blah, blah. I don't know. He was like, Ugh. yeah. So I thought before he you ask, Rob, I looked it up. And yes, C-sections were already in common practice by this point. <laughs> right. I did look that up. <laughs> he did cut her, though, because in the movie, he says, I cut you. Did you feel it? But I, I guess it wasn't a C-section. I don't know what he cut. No, they didn't do a C-section. She he, that that baby came out the, the the common way. Yeah. Well, they also didn't do a lot of prep. Like they didn't do an ultrasound, or I'm pretty sure they could check the sex of the baby back then with an ultrasound. Mm-hmm. I don't know. When we think about they it, they definitely I mean, like, didn't. This check, is but this is I'm not, 50 I'm not, years ago. This movie was shot. So the 70s was 50 years ago. That's a long time. Yeah, this yeah. movie came out in Shame. 1974. So yeah, it probably was yeah. filmed in like 73. Yeah. Ramirez, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, which is a better movie. And but, Black uh, Christmas. <laughs> Black Christmas is good too. <laughs> yeah, going back what you were saying about Big Pharma, Rob, because they do mention Big Pharma. So like it is possible that this movie was directly influenced by that conversation. Um, and at one point uh, after the kid is born, the mom is like, maybe I should have gotten an abortion. It's the only time it's mentioned, I think, in the movie. And I think it directly is a a um, comment on the discussion happening around whether or not abortions should be legalized if the baby is deformed. Did, mm. did she say that? I remember the doctor saying that. I don't remember her saying that, but maybe, yeah. maybe it came up twice. She, she says it, um, and then she, she was like, are you going to feel trapped? She's like debating whether or not the dad is like, comfortable with this we kind of get the sense throughout that like maybe he wasn't necessarily on board with the baby at some point um and obviously is not afterwards but she says are you going to feel trapped like you did last time um <laughs> she 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 does talk about it a little bit yeah he also mentions that everyone thinks about abortions these days at some point yeah um yeah I think Speaks they considered in like the first month or something it definitely was not influenced by the deformities because they did not know that it was going to be deformed they didn't know about the deformities, but you could also argue that the movie is saying you should check for that kind of thing. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying more so is like it's, it's the movie kind of seems like it's a cautionary tale of like maybe we should abort fetuses that have deformities because uh, they can turn into crazy killer mutant babies. Yeah, I also think it's uh, highly critical of just. I don't know, human progress and how it's affecting our ecology and our bodies and the world. 
that seems to be an underlying theme. Yeah, definitely. All the themes in this movie are just kind of starkly talked about, and then the plot continues. Yeah. <laughs> it, um, it's funny because the director's like, yeah, um, there's a lot of different ideas in this movie. I didn't just choose one because I didn't want to alienate any of the audiences. So it's, it's going to be whatever you want it to be. So if you guys think this movie is talking about abortion, then do you think it's pro-choice or pro-life or some other weird thing? Oh, I think it's definitely pro-choice. Yeah, I think it's pro-choice. And, and more so for what I just said, too, about um, it showing that we should have the option to have an abortion if the baby uh, shows potential deformities. Yeah. I think it also ties into like parenting ability um, in terms of abortion because 100% it seems like one of the ways you can view this movie is incompetent parents having a bad kid who's running amok and them telling everyone like, Oh, it's not their fault. And it's really their fault. It's not the kid's fault so much. So it's like, imagine you just have like a criminal offspring. Can you elaborate on that? Because I'm not convinced. Uh, you have a criminal offspring, and then the whole town and society has to deal with your problem. And you cause all these issues because you guys didn't go ahead and put in the legwork that you needed to as parents. You didn't guide it or whatever. So I think that's a way you can view this movie. And I think in, that, in terms of that, you can say it's also pro-abortion because they raise a crazy mutant baby obviously that's an exaggeration but suppose you just raise someone badly and they do all these awful things and it's because you don't want them to begin with or there's some sort of problem i think that's a way of viewing the movie Eh, i i guess i'm i'm not convinced by it because i think that if you're looking at it through that lens then it's extremely conflicted about its stance and i mean i i i don't think the movie actually has much to say about abortion at all straight up but to humor that lens for a minute, like, first, it's not a criminal. It's a, a baby. It It is not like the fetus in Sopdeck where it has full agency. This is a monster that's acting on pure instinct. It's like going after the milkman because he has milk. It's uh, very happy when it's with its mother. Um, but also, like, it's not about bad parenting because they didn't have any time to be parents. They're they're just have being forced to react to the entire town immediately hating their child. And then at the end of the movie, you sympathize with the baby. So I don't know if the movie is actually saying they should have aborted or killed it. I feel like at the end of the movie, it actually reverses that stance and says, Oh no, we should not kill this baby. We should uh, learn to nurture it and help it lead a better life. Mm. and give it as good a life as is possible for it to lead. Well, because what else is the other option there, that we're going to murder this baby? And then, like, I think the movie is at least anti-baby murdering. It is, because that's also, like, it's not a fetus. It's a baby. Right. It was not aborted. Like, Like, if you're going to have the baby, then you're going to have to take care of it. You're going to have to love it. You're going to have to be the parent. Yeah. Yeah, that that part I agree (laughs) with. But I think there's still, like, the debate of what Rob was saying, too, of, like, yeah, I don't believe this guy wanted this baby, though. It, I, I agree that it's not really a, an abortion film. It, 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 I think it touches on it, but I feel like this is more of a like parenting film more so than anything else of like yeah. what it is to be a parent. Um, and I agree and completely. That seeing that like obviously through the Frankenstein uh, correlation as well. Yeah, but I think the 
two are totally interrelated about whether or not you should abort something you're not ready for and you're not prepared to handle because they're obviously not prepared to handle this child of chaos and it causes so much chaos they have to kill it because it kills like seven, eight people in the movie. So I think, you know, if you put some of the details aside and you just take the story for as it is, you can say it's it's an allegory for people who don't have the discipline or the know-how to take care of their children. Let them run amok. They still have some sort of parental feelings, but they don't handle it in the correct way. And that brings down society as a whole. That that part I do agree with. Um, but I think j- just right there, the debate is not whether or not to abort this baby. It is whether or not to have the child in the first place. And I well, think I, like that to me is like that, that this movie isn't about abortion because of that's the question. But yeah, I agree with what you're saying though, Rob. Um, I, I, I don't agree with what you're saying, Rob, because I think that for a movie to be having that conversation, the parents would have needed to know child. It would have had to be like, even if they didn't know it was going to be a literal monster killing people, if they just knew it was going to have some deformities and then chose to have the child anyway, that would give them that agency. But because they don't have that agency, because they're not aware of what's, that there will be any consequences, they think the baby is going to come out and be just like every other baby. Like it, it's just not engaging with that conversation. Therefore, yeah, then, yeah, and that's what I'm saying is that there is no debate of whether or not we should abort this baby. That's not the debate that's happening in the film. Yeah, I also think they're almost clearly negligent because they really take no time to take care of their other son during this entire time period, and he almost gets himself oh, yeah. killed potentially because he doesn't know mm-hmm. what's going on, and they make no effort to like reach out to him. In fact, it's all Frank making all these mistakes because. He didn't really want to have the kid to begin with. So, I, I mean, I, I don't I'm, know. I'm not sold on him not, not wanting to have the kid, but let's go well, on. Well, Lenore <laughs> talks about him feeling trapped or whatnot, and he yeah. mentions himself even though he was considering abortion. So I think abortion is absolutely a theme. You could argue it's not the main theme. I think the main, well, I, there's like 15 themes in this movie, but one of the main critiques is, I, I think, pharma and parenting. But abortion, I think, I, I think, is inherently hand in hand with parenting, especially if you're going to just mention it. And they mention it more than once. Yeah, I think it, it does do it does comment on abortion. But I wouldn't say that this is like the the movie is an abortion movie. Like it's not about abortion to me. Yeah, I don't think it has any more to say about abortion than it does about miscarriage, which you can absolutely make the converse, the argument that it has to do with miscarriage as well. That would be more metaphorical that. Instead of their child literally dying, it just comes out and is a monster. It is not human. And you see the parents split and have polar reactions to this, where the father wants to distance himself from it. He says, that's not even my child. I'm not related to that thing. Mm-hmm. And the mother just wants the child to still be there. She's kind of in denial about it. it it's commenting on miscarriage just as much as it's commenting on abortion, if not a little bit more, I think. Mm-hmm. I disagree because I don't think they mention miscarriage enough, but I it definitely has to deal with like a complications of pregnancy. And I think that's yep. really what, what it's yep. about. So abortion is one of the discussions you have with that. It is kind of about because it's really about the grief, the, this grief of the child who the child isn't dead, but it is it comes out with abnormalities and it's about the grief of dealing with that and having to come to terms with it and the parents coming to terms with it in very very different ways i mean there's there's one point where the father literally toward the end he's snapping at his wife 
And he says, look at what your baby did to my son after the, the monster baby attacks Chris. And it, it's just this dis- difference where he he doesn't use R at any point. He refers yeah. to the monster baby as hers and the son as his. Right. But I think that's to my point that a lot of it's about like parental responsibility and how they need to be responsible enough to not have kids if they can't take care of them. Because everyone who really gets injured in this movie is not inside the family. Like the family unit kind of is maintained, but everyone else gets fucking eaten. But I think everyone else is portrayed as more villainous because they're they essentially become a lynch mob after a, a fucking baby. Yeah, it's a it's also a baby who yeah. killed five people within seconds <laughs> of being alive. So I mean, like, yeah, and they're just, a lynch mob. Just let it roam free while it just murders uh, failed actresses and milkmen. By the way, this movie <laughs> takes place in L.A., right? Oh, this is such an uh, L.A. movie. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. I didn't want to mention that in my my intro because my geography is terrible, and I've been in L.A. for like. <laughs> Ever. But I think that the movie is very sympathetic toward the parents, is what I was trying to say. That it wants you to understand them, especially the father, and sympathize with their, especially his plight. That it is about parenting basically in the face of grief. Kind of ties back to Hereditary and Pet Cemetery in that way. But I actually don't think it's super sympathetic. I think it humanizes them, but I think they're both relatively like weak characters not weak characters weak people and not like people you should idolize because she's more or less like a little nutty and he's kind of a dick so yeah and they don't handle the situation very well like at all you can't sympathize with people who aren't perfect well (laughs) i I don't know they're clearly flawed characters that doesn't mean that we can't be sympathetic toward them i can be sympathetic to them but i can also be critical of them and i think at the end of the day i'm more critical than sympathetic of these characters because he can't he doesn't really take care of his son properly or his wife and when he finally decides to eliminate the threat which he should do um he can't even follow through with it and he gets an additional cop killed so well, he'd be I a don't. much worse father I, if he literally killed his son. Yeah, but I, I, I agree. I don't sympathize with them at all. He's such an asshole, and at no point do I see him like try to admit that he is the father. He take no, he takes no responsibility. And yes, he's Until a flawed character. Yes, he's a flawed character, but he's a fucking asshole. So I, I, I don't feel sympathetic towards him at any point. And she's just too poorly written and too much of a. Um, a sad female character that is incredibly weak that I can't feel anything towards her because she doesn't feel like a real person to me, um, which sucks. But yeah, I mean, like, it's obvious that, like, the dad does feel guilt. He, you know, he's being a dick because he is suffering from this, like, this guilt that he has of being a father of something so terrible and not being able to do anything about it, which I think is why he, like, wants to go off and kill it himself because he needs to, like, he needs to take responsibility, but he fucking doesn't. So, Rob, you said that at the end of the movie, you think that he should have killed the baby. Oh, 100%. He should have taken responsibility for his fuck up and dealt with it. I I think you should be able to compare these two. If you have a rabid dog that bites people, it's your responsibility to put it down. If you have a delinquent child, it's your responsibility to discipline them. That's why I see the comparison to delinquency. And he doesn't take responsibility for it. In fact, he makes things worse. By not accepting the kid and then trying to accept the kid at the end, he should have either immediately accepted the kid and taken precautions to contain it, which I mean, honestly, the cops are wrong for killing it too, because 
in the uh, the reality of the film, having a mutant baby, you should put it in a cage and study it because it's fucked up and it can happen again, which does happen. Wow, that is more crazy, man. And that's more evil. <laughs> what? No, no, they the should definitely study the, the insane monster, right? Shouldn't they figure out what's what that's caused it? Torture, with that's it? cruelty. I mean, don't, Devin, you, you, you don't have to be cruel to study it. No, you should you should study, but uh, don't lock it up in a cage. Uh, also, like it, like this is still a human baby. At no point, I don't I don't agree. I don't agree that they should kill it because at no point do we entertain the idea of what happens if we treat this baby like a fucking baby and not a monster. Mm-hmm. Like you never see them consider the other option. The only option they ever say is like let's kill it, but they don't ever like exactly. try to connect with the baby until the end of like seeing that the baby is actually still a baby wants his mom wants milk wants his dad like wants to be part of this family wants his brother like there is it is human and there is yeah. that yes. like human instinct in it but most of its victims are completely harmless people like they're either the milkman or a nurse they're not people who are trying to injure it so maybe we should try to teach it some love yeah i don't Act- know if actually- you have a rabid dog like you should put it down or put it in a Get, get it quarantined it doesn't you don't have to put the baby in a cage but you have to make sure it's isolated can't kill people the one time that the idea is actually entertained is by the mom by lenore she actually does want to treat the baby as a baby and takes it in and during that time when she is taking care of him he doesn't kill anyone he doesn't attack her he doesn't even attack his father he actually does become docile and it's only when frank finds it and tries to kill it that it starts lashing out again yeah because all it's known is fucking hate all it's known is hate Mm -hmm. what else is it supposed to do when we show it love maybe it can learn love this is a lot of the conversation too about like about uh not prisons but you know that that debate of like what should we be doing for rehabilitation of um people who have committed crimes you know like i think that falls into like this conversation also that's that's a big conversation though that's yeah, a very big different conversation. Let's not get into it. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, 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 <laughs> so I, many opinions. <laughs> that, that's not totally different because I think a lot of this is about discipline. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, in the reality of the movie, you have this super dangerous creature. So you need to take precautions to make sure that even if you love it, maybe it just gets angry and kills somebody because it can kill them so easily. You can't just have the thing in regular human society. Maybe you could like declaw it or something. I don't they know. They definitely need to declaw it. Man, you those claws are intense. They yeah. are, yeah. I, I don't know. What what do you guys think of the uh the special effects of the creature? I, I think it looks pretty bad. <laughs> it's pretty rough. <laughs> I kind of liked it. It looked really freaky and dope at the same time. Uh we should mention that it is Rick Baker who designed the, yeah, uh, the creature. My guy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Early Rick Baker, uh pre-American werewolf by like six years. Yeah, right. This movie's old. It felt like <laughs> a little more modern than I than I had expected. So what do you guys think of the male perspectives in both these movies? Now that we're winding down this conversation, it seems like very much so it's alive, I'd argue, is male-centric in the uh, point of view, which mm-hmm. is fine. That's the type of movie it is. Uh, Sop Deck is a little bit more mixed. I don't even know if there's quite a central main character for that one. I would argue that Sopdeck to me is from a male POV because uh, I saw as the central character, at least the one that was the most developed as we followed them throughout was the the father. Um, and because, you know, 
he is the one that gets a resolution at the end um, when he falls into that. We did not talk about the fetus, bloody fetus pit that he falls into. Holy crap. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think throughout we're like following him and his guilt. Of course, we don't know it yet, but his guilt of having um, p- pushed this woman into into doing an abortion. Yeah, I agree. Even like there's that moment in the beginning when uh, his daughter asks both parents like, oh, can I have a a sibling, a, a baby brother or sister? And the dad is like, no, we're not ready for that. And we literally never hear what the mom thinks. Yeah. We literally has, do not get her opinion. We don't get anything from her. <laughs> I don't know anything about this woman. I'm like, you're in she's so a much of the movie. Yeah, she's a teacher and and she's very nice. She's like sympathetic for the other teenage girls and tries to help them out and all that. Um, Um, With the actress also, uh, we we get that the the, the dad very much wants her to abort because he doesn't want his affair to be exposed. Again, we don't actually get her opinion on it. We we know that she listens to him, but we don't actually know why. Yeah. Um, Uh, With the teenage girl with Quan... Also, uh, when Quan is deciding to have an abortion, we don't have any scenes that are just focused on her deciding this. It's all from her boyfriend's perspective. As he's like, oh, no, is she going to get an abortion? I had to stop her from getting an abortion. And all of their actions, these women's actions are based off of the the men. The, the yes. teenager gets an abortion because she doesn't think her boyfriend wants it. The actress, because of, like David just said. Yeah, so I feel like the men are very much in power in this movie, and therefore it feels like a more male perspective film. Yeah, actually, Lenore even questions having an abortion for very similar reasons, whether or not Frank's ready for it and can handle it. Mm. In, all, in all the cases, it seems like... Um, I, I mean, it's like the familial, like, uh, what is it called? The uh, nuclear family structure. Like yeah. they're, they're so concerned with that being upheld that they can't really conceive of having a child outside of it. So why do you think it's important for the filmmakers to show these films um, around parenting abortion and, and these bigger questions about a child's life through the male perspective? Because the writer directors are men. they're written and directed by men the men can't conceive of the woman's notion especially in soft deck i mean it's alive at least like i don't think it's about abortion i think it's about parenting so that one can kind of apply to both sexes but in soft deck it's just straight up like no he just didn't think about women (laughs) (laughs) uh i mean i i don't i don't think soft deck didn't think about women I, i think it tries to be very sympathetic towards them uh whether or not it did a good job is up for debate i guess it's alive. I, I think, like we said earlier, is a Frankenstein story. So Frank is a relation of all fathers to Frankenstein. And what would you do if your kid was born as the monster? How would you yeah. handle it? You know, Frank handles it pretty poorly. Um, yes, yeah, Sopdeck. I, I, I don't know. I was confused at who the main character even was. Yeah, that that's fair because it, it is an ensemble piece. I, I agree with your guys' um, interpreta- interpretation of It's Alive. It is a Frankenstein ad- adaptation in a, in a sense, so therefore the male perspective makes sense. For me, I mean, for Soptek, it's interesting to have a propaganda film. This is a propaganda film yeah. about 
anti-abortion, pro-life choices aimed at men. To me, that's really interesting. And what the what I got from this movie mm. is that like they're putting the men in power. And I don't know enough about Thai culture to like know what the the gender dynamics are there but it seems like the movie is saying that the men kind of have control of whether or not um someone should get an abortion and that's why they're targeting it towards men like why would it why wouldn't you target towards women who are mm. supposed to be the ones making these decisions well if anything well, i think that Sopdek maybe even portrays the women as the villains i mean the one woman who mm -hmm. does have some agency in the movie is the abortionist um yeah, it does. She's she she has agency, but she's kind of the villain in a sense. Yeah, and she's the one doing the what they describe as murders. Whether I don't, I wouldn't describe it as murder, but that's how the movie would. <laughs> I I disagree. I think it actually does a pretty good job of hitting uh, a lot of the different notes. Um, for instance, we see how it affects uh, the woman of an affair who's not pregnant and the mistress is pregnant. We see the mistress's reaction. We see the abortionist. We see the abortionist's helper. We see the teenage girl, the teenage girl's friend, the teenage girl's boyfriend who actually doesn't want her to get an abortion, but inadvertently causes it with his, you know, his juvenile response to, are you mm -hmm. pregnant? What the fuck? It's like 16. Like, of course, the kid's going to react terribly. Yeah, um, I Look, I agree with that because, like, my first notes when I first started the film was like, I'm so excited that they're setting up all these women and we get to see all these different perspectives perspective of abortion. Um, but then it just it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't get resolved. We don't spend more time with them. Yeah. It, it is. It felt more like a male perspective, and I didn't relate as much as I wanted to to the female characters mm -hmm. as a female viewer. Um, and I was like, oh. They had a chance. Like, like I, I was excited. I totally agree, Rob, that they, they set up these, these people, but I think they just like, they didn't follow through there. And in that sense, yes, it's an ensemble movie, but it doesn't feel that way because I don't get the resolution. Um, they kind of just all get tortured. They all, everyone gets tortured. And, but at least there's a resolution for the, the main family. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's kind of the superficiality of propaganda pieces. It's like, Here's the thing. It's bad. Look how bad it fucks everyone up. That's kind of all that happens. <laughs> uh, it doesn't really, yeah. it, it's sympathetic, but that it doesn't like dive deeper. Like how do people deal with this kind of thing? You know, it's just a tragic movie. Um, a lot of Asian horror films are kind of just bleak and tragic. Uh, I know I just watched one called Suicide Forest Village. That was, it, it had a more uppity ending than this one, but it was pretty tragic too. Cape within Thailand, the other one I would think of is Shudder, um, mm -hmm. which is also yeah. male perspective. But at least that one is male perspective as saying, hey, men, don't be dicks to women. <laughs> you ever see Thai commercials? They're like five minute no, long and super oh tragic. Oh, now I want to watch that. There yeah. are a bunch of other Thai horror films with the Kuman Thong and like about mm. specifically mm. being haunted by... Um, by I don't even know if it's aborted fetuses, but by baby babies, I guess. I really want to watch them now. I'm, I'm curious mm. if they're as <laughs> if they're pro life <laughs> and propaganda movies. Also, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's weird. I mean, just the idea of giving the fetus this soul kind. I I feel like pushes so much. I mean, fair point. I I think I don't know how it is in Thailand, but in America, at least, I feel like a a large part of this divide is like 
you have pro-life and you have pro-choice. It's not pro-life and anti-life. It's not pro-choice and anti-choice. It's not even pro-abortion and anti-abortion. It's two pros of different things. And it's like these two different sides are literally having completely different conversations and they're not even engaging. That they're like the real conversation is just is this a person? Is does this have rights? Do those rights outweigh the rights of the mother and to what degree? How do you define what a person is? How do you mm -hmm. define what has rights? I mean, we don't, like you were talking earlier, Rob, about putting down a rabid dog with respects to It's Alive. And, like, you say that, like, it's pretty obvious. But it's not that obvious. Like, that is, again, going at this assumption that dogs have less rights than people. Now, that said, that doesn't mean you're wrong. I mean, a rabid dog also doesn't really have much potential for a good life as it is which is another thing to bring up with the fetuses that does the potential for life mean anything does potential for a good life mean anything. And how do you define that? I mean, I would say that once, once the child, like before the child is born pro choice all the way, once the child is born, any deformities, disabilities, whatever, like, no, it's, it's born. You want to give it the best life you can, you can give them. Hey, fucking yeah. men. <laughs> yeah. But like, if, Maybe we should compare people to animals more because like I was at a racetrack the other day and like the horse fell and broke both its legs like a horse with broken legs is fucked. So they just put it down like immediately. Maybe sometimes if you're born into complete suffering with terrible dis deformities that will just make you suffer your entire life, you should just be euthanized. It's terrible. That's absolutely terrible. Maybe they should do the same thing for old. Hey, if all you can do is suffer. For super old people, there's a conversation that the person has the ability to have agency before that and dictate their wishes. And yeah, but what if they what if they lose their agency before they can make the final um, decree? And it's like up. If they have it's usually up to dementia, the kids. Yeah, then it's usually well, up to the kids to determine what they think their parent would want. Well, why is it so different if they're old than young? Yeah. They don't have the agency either, because in America, at least, we don't have euthanasia. So we don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we we sort of do in the, Oregon. It depends on the scenario. Most of the t we don't have euthanasia to the degree that Rob is discussing. We actually yeah. we just don't have euthanasia in America. We have we have physician assisted suicide, and we also have certain things they do with certain babies where they could just stop giving them any kind of uh, treatment. Yeah. So they just die we naturally, which is way worse. We don't have uh, legal uh, physician assisted suicide. Yes, we do in Oregon, but that's not euthanasia. Okay. They give oh, you the means Oregon, to yeah. kill yourself. Yeah, but in most places they don't. We do what we have is like you can basically take someone off of life support. That is well, what I mean by the euthanasia that we have. Yeah, well, that, that's, that's hospice yeah. care. That's different. Yeah, yeah, that's but we do have like, that. Yeah, but that's not a, a choice. Yeah, yeah, but we're talking yeah. about someone who's had agency and thus potentially lost it versus someone who's never had agency. No, it ties, it ties into the fetus conversation of the, the agency. Um, and I mean the horse thing, I could go into a whole long thing about that too. Cause like, that's like, it's a money thing. It's a, oh, you know, horse like it's terrible. Yeah. Like they, yeah. they, you, you, yeah, the horse's career is fucked, but you could still mm -hmm. have a horse and treat it. And like, there's still options for it. That's I mean, like, that's the issue is like, there's right. still options. Just like how the baby and it's alive, like there are options. We just didn't explore yes. them. 
And yeah. for children with disabilities, there are options. There are plenty of people who live with disabilities and are okay for a long time. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that you should just immediately kill any child who's born with disabilities. I think that's absolutely atrocious and horrendous. Well, that's not what I said. I said that in certain cases where they're only going to suffer, maybe you should consider it. Like, that's yeah, not any I, disability. I, that's like, not ever seen any these pictures? Sure, I exaggerate when I said any, yeah. but still, with what you're saying, I think, no, that's terrible. No, there, there are certain cases where there's just, there's no hope of survival, and they're only going to live for a very short amount of time, and it's just absolutely miserable. Like, it's just severe pain. And when that's the case, you shouldn't just torture something but by the, keeping and- it alive artificially. Yeah, and this is, but bringing it back to the abortion, like, this is the yeah. world that we're living in now is like, in those cases, when we when we can identify that the child is going to be born with something like that, we don't yeah. even have to have this conversation that we're having now because if abortion was was legal, then we could be having that before the child's even born and before we have to even consider like any of those options. Like we are entering a world where like both mother and baby could die if they are born because they can they will not be able to get an abortion. Mm-hmm. And like that yeah. conversation that we're having now is not it's it's a luxury to be happening at some point you know like that that conversation is going to happen more and more often sorry now i'm getting flustered i don't know if i'm making sense but like yeah just like bring no, it back to the abortion you. level you make perfect <laughs> i can also tell it's getting really hot in that room you're in oh yeah can you see me fanning and like pulling up my shirt yeah like- it's getting <laughs> extremely hot in this room too okay so now it's time for my favorite part of the show this is the review section. We review each film on a one through four bone rating system with half bones in between. Starting it off this week with Sop Deck is Devin Shepard. All right. Uh, yeah, let's start with the propaganda movie. Um, fuck you. Uh, fuck, fuck this propaganda film. Um, no, I mean, like looking at it seriously, I do. I do like um, the female characters in the beginning. Again, I feel like they don't go anywhere. Um, the scares are unoriginal. The music is cheesy. A lot of this is like just very unoriginal. The script is all over the place. I mean, this movie was literally made after an event that happened in 2010. And it, this movie came out in 2011. It is sloppy as all fucking hell. And it shows. There were a few things in it that I did enjoy. The lighting was pretty good. I mean, I watched a shitty ass YouTube version, but like it looked like it had cool uh, lighting and cinematography, I think. Again, propaganda film, but falling into a, a pit of like bloody animated fetuses was pretty awesome to see. That was the only original part. Otherwise, I had no idea what was happening. So I'm going to give this one bone. What about you, David? Yeah, uh, so I, I think I had the only one who watched the good quality version. So this movie is really hard to find. Um, there is that shitty version on YouTube that you can watch, or you can get a week-long trial to, I think it was called Toku. It's like some weird Thailand, I'm not sure if it's Thailand or Asia general, I don't know what it is specifically, but it's some app that has this movie on it. So I can confirm that the movie was pretty, at least, for the most part. Um, there are some parts that were pretty weird or some shots that I wondered how they got that. I'm like, I can't, is this green screen? This looks weird. There are definitely some cultural differences in the filmmaking and the way that it is shot. And I, I, I almost want to give them the benefit of the doubt on the shitty dialogue as well, because I can tell that the subtitles are atrocious. And like, I think everything is just translated completely literally, I think. Because, you know, different languages will often have different grammar rules. So when you translate it perfectly, literally, 
it the, the subtitles just read as broken English, and it's really weird and jarring. I don't know if the dialogue sounded better in Thai. Probably, I don't know what, what language is it in Thailand. Is it just Thai or is it? It's Thai. Thank you. I don't know if the dialogue sounded better in Thai. Probably not that much because also like so much in the movie is just exposition and the characters are developed. Uh, the script is all over the place and there's no sense of structure or pacing whatsoever. Like it's if you ever wanted to watch a really poorly made propaganda pro-life film, then this is the movie for you. That's not what I wanted to watch. So I'm also going to give it one bone. So I didn't hate it as much as you, I guess. But uh, yeah, I my biggest gripe with it, um, I, I don't mind it being a propaganda movie. I, some propaganda movies are good. It's just a little boring and it takes a while for the scares to really start. Although the ending has some pretty good payoff, but then it's kind of dampered by the political overtones. Uh, one and a half bones. It's... Uh, there's some characters I liked and some parts I liked, like the abortionist I thought was an interesting character, how she was like kind of nasty, but then also kind of sympathetic, which I think is realistic. I've met a lot of people like that. Um, yeah, one and a half. Is, is this the first time that we all gave a movie negative review? Oh, man, maybe. That was like the closest review I think we've ever given. Probably, <laughs> yeah. Probably. We, we've had a few where they've all been like flat twos. Or something. Yeah, but, but I don't think we've ever yeah. had one where we were all beneath two. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that I think okay. we all agree it's uh, not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't mean to put my hand up. Devin, what do you think of so- of uh, It's Alive? It's Alive. Ugh. I wish I saw this movie at a drive-in. This is like the perfect drive-in movie. It's classic 70s B-horror. It's like it, it it just like it throws you back to this time into this of movies and to this time of horror that like I love being in. Um, it's a it's a little all over the place. Like I said, I don't like the characters. Um, the female character is so terribly written, and I hate it. I hate it so much. And I I like there's there's no excuse. There's no excuse. Um, I wish I had a little more of the monster. I I did enjoy the monster. Um. Mm, I, I, I wanted to be a little more scared. Um, it had a couple of good twists, I must say. I, uh, there were a few moments where I was like, oh, this actually went in, in a direction I didn't think it was going, um, but otherwise was relatively slow throughout, except for um, certain moments. It was a worse omen, but it did remind me a lot of the omen. I mean, the, the scene at the end was the omen. Um, and it, it had a really awesome score. Uh, and some some really good acting from from a few of the leads, uh, despite a like weird script. Um, so I'm going to give this two two bones. So Rob, you suggested this movie, so I, I'm very curious what your thoughts were. Okay, so I did suggest this movie. That doesn't mean I actually like it. Uh, I was this movie's really boring. Um, I, I swear I'd seen part of it when I was a little kid when he kills all the people in the uh, medical room, and I remembered it being way more interesting. But I don't know. The beginning's kind of cool and the ending's kind of cool. I don't particularly like any of the characters. They don't, the dialogue's pretty like stilted and on the nose. It also gets one and a half bone. I think it's kind of bad. I also, I also get so annoyed with movies where like they don't show the monster kill people. And this one's annoying because they show you the monster right in the beginning, but then you don't get to see it kill anyone. I'm like, there's no suspense if I already know what it is. 
you got to hold off on the reveal of the creature first. Bad movie. Um, I agree with you for most of the runtime. I also think that it's kind of boring and slow. Um, a lot of it is just Frank being like, I'm not related to this thing. I'm on your side. And so much in movies just repeating that beat over and over and over again. What saves it for me is the ending. I really, really like the ending. I think that those last like five, ten minutes when he 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 arrives to kill the baby and he just he sees it crying and he realizes that's in pain and he finally sees it as a baby and as his child. And comes around and has this complete reversal and change of heart, which is hinted at earlier. Like, you do see that slight hesitation in him. People keep saying, like, we feel like you're overcorrecting, maybe. Stuff like that. Uh, even the whole Frankenstein comparison doesn't really make sense until you get to that ending. I really like the end a lot. And then just that final beat when they're just in the car and the, guys, and the cop's like, there's another one born in Seattle. I'm like... Perfect ending. Just roll credits. I'm into it. So that really saved the movie a lot for me, and I'll, I'll I'll put it up to chew bones because of the ending. Okay, so that wraps it up for this week. It might be our lowest scoring episode yet. Thanks for joining us on Cadaver Dogs Podcast. Until next time. It's time to cut out this cancer. Cancer.